Well, good morning. My name is Jared Irvine. I'm the pastor of Junior High Ministries, and this morning is men's retreat, or this weekend is. And you might be wondering, well, why aren't you there? You're a man, aren't you? And yes, I am, but my wife had a baby three weeks ago, so I got to stay home with my wife and young child, and so that was a blessing, and I get to preach to you guys this morning. So before we we jump into the proverb this morning, because we're still in our series, My Favorite Proverbs, I want to look at Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. We just sang some of the most beautiful songs about the greatness of our God, and so we're just going to jump into Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, what's, what's like one of the hardest things that you've ever accomplished in your life? You ever think about that? What's the most difficult thing you've ever done? How many of you like ever ran a marathon here? No. Right. Why would you? But if anyone ever did, that would be, that's an extremely difficult thing to do. I don't know why anyone would, would want to run that far, but some people do. And, you know, seeing my wife give birth three weeks ago, that is one of the most difficult things any person would ever have to accomplish. So let's give a hand for women out there. Yeah. <laughs> it really is amazing. But what about forgiving an enemy? How many of you ever had to do that? That can be one of the most difficult things that you could ever be called to do. And that is our, really our topic this morning, is, is how do we treat an enemy? What's our response to someone who might want to harm us, to do wrong to us? How should we respond? So I'm going to go back to Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, because Yes, it talks about God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But what is the context that he's talking about? Is it just because God is God and we are human? And so clearly God is higher than us. His thoughts are much greater than ours. But God is actually specifically talking about one thing here. And that is really what our topic this morning is. is that our God is so compassionate, so merciful, so gracious, and so forgiving. And that's not usually our ways, but that's his ways. So let's, look at, let's pick it up a little more context. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord. The prophet is exhorting us this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, while you have breath in your lungs, while you are alive, seek him. Call upon him. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return, or in other words, repent to the Lord that he, God, may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Don't miss that adverb. He will abundantly pardon. Not just a little bit. An abundance of mercy, of grace, of pardon. And then it says in in 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts? That is good news. That is good, good news. Yeah, to us, loving our enemy, this is the most, one of the most difficult, challenging things that God is ever going to call us to do. So before we get into the proverb, we just want to say that, right? This is not easy. This is difficult. But this is what God is calling us to do. But the good news is, this is who our God is. This is his way. He is gracious, compassionate, loving, forgiving, much more than any of us, right? In our, in our sinful, corrupt, fallen nature, we are vindictive. We like revenge. But that's not God's nature. God is compassionate. He is forgiving. And he is loving. And that is good news this morning. Well, he calls us to follow in his ways. And Jesus calls us to love our enemy. In Luke 6.35, says to love our enemies and to do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So let's look at the proverb this morning. If we're in Proverbs 25, we're looking at one proverb, two verses. 25, we're looking at verse 21 and 22 this morning. So Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So our main point this morning is that in our personal relationships, we love, we do kindness to those who wrong us. To what an enemy, it's what I'm characterizing what an enemy would like to do. Those who wrong us, try to harm us, try to bring us down. But we trust in the Lord to make all things right. So the first, our, kind of our sub point is overcome evil with good. So I entitled this, What to Give an Enemy. Well, what do you normally like to give an enemy? You know, what would you like to, I mean, if they're starving, right? Just let them starve. Laugh at them. Maybe if you want, you know, if you're going to be really messed up, you could give them bread, but you put poison in it. Or you give them bread and you pat them on the back, but then you pull a knife out and stab them in the back. Why would you give an enemy something that would be good for him? Why would you give an enemy, if they're down, why would you help them up? That would, that would be against your will, right? Against your goodwill. Against you. Why would you do that? Why would you help an enemy up when he's down? In fact, you would rather put him down further. And the point of this passage is this is not how you normally would treat an enemy. You don't treat an enemy this way. That's the point. This is how the world operates. When an enemy, you have an enemy, you want to do harm to them. You want to do, to bring them down. You would not want to help them up. Because if you help them, they're just, they could hurt you. So why would you do that? 
the way our world works, right, is there's an action, there's a reaction. You hurt someone, you're going to want revenge. And usually how that works is you're going to hurt them, you're going to try to hurt them worse than they hurt you. Right? If they take your eye, you're going to take their head. So how many of you, maybe, maybe not, but how many of you ever been involved in like a prank war? Someone might, they might have teepeed your house. How dare they? So you find out who it is. Well, I'm going to get them back. Well, okay, our high school pastor, Stephen Elliott, is a fantastic man of God, and I love him to death. Don't prank him. <laughs> Don't you ever prank him. I'll tell the high schoolers this next service. Don't prank him. He is super, super good at getting you back. And it's always way worse than you got him. Right? And so what these things end up doing is they end up escalating. They get worse and worse and worse. And so, yeah, sure, in the Old Testament, there was this eye for an eye idea, which is actually to restrain vengeance because that's how it usually goes. I take... You know, they take my eye, I'm going to take their head. Well, it's not. You're not going to take their head. You're just going to take their eye because that's what they did to you. And that actually restrains that vengeance. This passage is not saying that. This passage is not even the eye-to-eye thing. That is, if they're an enemy, you are going to do good to them. You are going to help them, not harm them, and not even to seek justice or revenge from them. So this goes way beyond that. And this is a very difficult thing to do, right? This is a difficult love. Not something that comes natural to us. Vengeance, revenge, getting someone back. That comes natural to our self-centered, sinful natures, right? But this is unworldly. This is divine, this kind of love. And Jesus says this in in Luke 6.32, I read 6.35, it says, love your enemies. But he says in 6.32, he says, you know, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Everyone, he says, even sinners do that. Everyone does that. That's how this works. It's easy. You love those who love you? Yeah, sure, everyone does that. So that's easy to do. And he says, but love those who are your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to someone not expecting anything in return. Why? Because that's what God does. He is good. He is giving to the ungrateful and evil. And in verse 36, he says that. He says, be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's what we are to do. We are to to be like God. These are his ways. And sure, for us, that's easy to do, to love those who love us. But God is calling us to do the more difficult thing. To even love those who don't deserve it. To even help those that we would rather not help. And again, this is one of the more challenging things that we are called to do. This does not come natural to us. It does not. So when we say, oh yeah, love your enemies. Yeah, that's easy. No. It's not easy at all. And so these are, not, these are not our ways. But you know, when if you've ever seen this happen, right? An unexpected return of something. 
where an enemy does something and yet it doesn't come back evil. Evil is given, but good comes back. It stands out. It really stands out. And one example that I can think of that really has stood out is about a group of people that people often make fun of uh, because they're literally stuck in time. They churn butter, literally. Uh, the Amish. And there was an example. I know there's been a lot of mass shootings in this country. And it's a horrible thing. But of all the mass shootings that have happened, this one has stood out. And this happened like in 2005. Do you remember this? An insane person went into this Amish community and murdered, cold blood, five young girls and hurt five others. An atrocious event. What did the Amish people in that community do in response? They, they not only they forgave the shooter, which is difficult to do. Even though the shooter, yeah, he killed himself after that. But still, they forgave him for what he had done. They forgave his family. But they did more than that. They attended his funeral. Which, if, okay, if you kill a lot of people, not a lot of people are going to go to your funeral. And yet, these people came out in numbers at his funeral. They provided meals for the family. He was married. So he had a widow. They, they raised money. They raised money to give it to her. I mean, this great evil was done to them, and yet how did they repay it? With extraordinary kindness and goodness, far beyond anything anyone ever would expect. Because that's not how we normally operate. That's not how it's done. And yet that's what they did, and that just was an extraordinary example of kindness, goodness in the face of this great and terrible evil. And, and they said this. They said, you know, the hurt was very great. They don't minimize what was done to them, but they said, but we're not going to balance hurt with hate. That's not the response they're going to give. Now, they might, you know, you might want to do that, but they're not going to do that. And one social commentator was like, well, how did they have the strength to do that? Because it takes a strength. Right? This is not an easy love. How did they do this? They said forgiveness was woven into their everyday life. Forgiveness was woven into their everyday life. And I think that's so simply profound. Because here's the thing. They did not just start forgiving when this thing happened to them. That's not when they started to practice the habit of showing mercy, of grace, of forgiving people. Because if you start there, you're not going to start there. But they had practiced in their own community. It was so hurt them. They, they would practice forgiveness. They would show grace. They would show mercy. That's what they did. They built this spiritual habit so that when something terrible happened to them, they didn't have to come together. What are we going to do? This is how they live. This is what they do in response to evil. They forgive. And they practiced it all along. And yeah, sure, this is an extreme situation. And I shudder to think what I would do in a similar situation. If that happened to my family or happened to our church family, any of your guys' family. I would never want that to happen. But how do we 
how do we have the strength to be able to do something like that? We have to start practicing forgiveness now. Even if it's just a slight little, you know, someone disses you, someone says something mean about you, someone lies, you have to start, we have to start practicing forgiveness right now. God forbid that would ever happen, but we have to show grace, mercy, kindness in the small things because that builds our character. That's who we are. Because when we, we get hit with something, what's our response? How do we act in response to that? And we need to start thinking about how do we show good even to those who harm us? Because like Jesus said, it's easy to love those who love you. There's nothing tested there. But real love is tested when, well, when you're presented to, what do I do? What do I give to an enemy? What, do I, what would I give to someone who actually doesn't want my good? But how do I respond in a way that shows the grace, mercy, forgiveness of our God? We sang, how great is our God? And part of his greatness, right, is his character. It's his main great, yeah, he is God. He is this eternal creator. There are so many things about God that blows our categories away. But his character is what truly, truly for us personally, makes it like, wow, God, you are unlike me. You are the most gracious, compassionate, forgiving person in the whole universe. I'm not like that. How do I become more like you, Lord? If you have your Bible, let's turn over to Romans chapter 12. Paul, Paul quotes this he quotes this uh, proverb in a section where he's talking to the church at Rome. And I want to take a look at this because, first of all, I think it's interesting that, yeah, we're going through this series of proverbs, but the Apostle Paul is reading the Old Testament. He's talking to people, just like I'm talking to you now, right? He's talking to a church, and he's like, look, I just, I read this in Proverbs. This stands out to me. I'm going to use this to help you deal with your own context with how do you deal with people who might harm you, who might want to persecute you. And of course, you know, if you've done any history of the early church, you know that they're living in a very uh, difficult time of persecution. And so this would really stand out. This is not just, sometimes it would be for us like, okay, yeah, there is, there is persecution, but not like it here. And yet Paul is saying this, not from like, uh, armchair quarterback kind of guy. He's experienced persecution himself. So he's, he's talking, he knows what he's talking about here. And that makes it even more profound and wow, I can't believe that's what he's saying to this group of people. So in, in Romans chapter 12, you know, obviously 1 through 11 is before that, right? And he's, taught, he's just laid out one of the greatest examples of Paul's theology of the gospel is in Romans 1 through 11. And then in 12 through 16, he starts to get into more of his practical everyday. How do, I, how do we take this great gospel, what Jesus Christ did for us, and, and start working this out into our life? And he starts off with Romans 12, and he says that we are to devote ourselves, right, to be this living sacrifice to the Lord. That it's a, it's a whole body experience. That this is what we do. This is who we are. We present our, our whole selves entirely to the Lord. This is a living sacrifice. Every day we live it out. We're devoted to him. 
And he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind to know the will of God. And so, so he starts to work out, okay, what does this look like? What does this transformational life look like? Well, in short, it's, it's love. This is what he calls us to. This is the transformed life, this life of God, to love. And then in, in 19 through 21, he's talking about how should we respond to enemies. And he says, Beloved, never, never avenge yourself. Okay, we like loopholes. We love exception clauses. We don't like absolute statements like this, especially when it's talking about revenge. Does he say sometimes don't take revenge? Does he say, okay, there's a threshold of evil, and if it passes that, then you are free to do anything you like. This is a very difficult statement. Never avenge yourself. But, you're like, okay, here it comes, the exception clause. No, not what you're thinking. But, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then here comes our proverb. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he summarizes this in verse 21 of his strategy. Where he's like, don't be overcome by evil. As easy as that is for us to do, right? Don't be overcome by evil. Yes, you're going to have a thirst to get revenge. You would want vengeance. That's our nature. Our sinful, fallen, self-centeredness. If someone wrongs us, we're going to want revenge. But he says, don't be overcome by that. Don't be overcome by evil. But, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. And what does that look like? What is the overcome evil with good? It moves us into our, our second sub-point here is our, our good actions can have a burning effect. So in uh, Proverbs 25, 22, and then part of this, it says this very peculiar phrase, by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, let's make this clear. What he's not saying is, what you do to an enemy is you put a bunch of burning coals on him. That's, that's a misread of the text. That's reading what you'd like to do. Yes. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying don't, don't heap burning coals on him. He's saying your good actions will have an effect upon him. Your good actions. The one, you know, if he's hungry, give him bread. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. Now, what does that mean? Clearly, we don't get it because we're in the 21st century of America. We don't use that sort of phrase. But there is an Egyptian ritual that, okay, so if you're feeling bad about something, right? If you're feeling sorry. And maybe you have kids, right, who, our kid hasn't done anything wrong yet. He's only three weeks old. <laughs> Except poop on us. No. Don't know if it was intentional or not. But he, he kind of laughs when he did that. So I was like, oh, does he know more than I think? Um, 
how do you know that someone is being genuine when they come to repent? It's a heart issue, right? They could, say, they could say the right words, but how do they show it? And so there was this Egyptian ritual that he wanted to really display in an outward, external way that he had messed up and that he, meant, that he means it when he's saying, can you forgive me? And so he put this pan on his head and put burning coals on it to show, that's a weird thing. Like I wouldn't think that's what I would do to show someone that I was sorry, but that's what he did. That was this Egyptian ritual to show, I am sorry for what I have done. And so what this text is, is saying then is that your good actions and response to evil, instead of paying evil for evil, can actually have a profound change on a person that they would recognize their evil actions and could repent of it. Now, these are Proverbs, which means they're not promises. This is not guaranteed. But this is the strategy that even Paul is saying in Romans 12, 19, he's, or 12, 19 to 21, you can overcome evil by doing good. That your good actions in response to evil could, in fact, help lead this person to repentance and a changed life. And quick, quick point. What if they don't repent, of course? Well, Paul says that. He says, leave it to the wrath of God. So we know justice will be done. We know that. And revenge is really short-sighted. It's thinking that no justice will ever be done. I have to do it. I need to get justice. I need to get revenge. But he, he's saying, look, God, at the end of the day, is going to take care of all evil. What we are to do right now is to do good, and hopefully they will repent. Because what's the heart of God? In Isaiah 55, he says, he will abundantly pardon. He wants the wicked to forsake his ways. Otherwise, why would he cry out through the prophet, seek the Lord, call upon him? God wants all to repent, all to turn away from their evil. And he's saying what you could do is your good actions could help in that area, could actually lead to someone to saying, wow, I messed up and I need to have transformation. And of course, if they don't, Fire really has two purposes, right? It can purify someone, purify something, or it can be destructive. And if this person just, if there's good always coming back to their evil and they just keep doing evil, well, the saddest thing is they just keep building up punishment, judgment. And God will, at his final day, take care of it. But we know that God's heart, he wants people to change. He wants people to be transformed. And we know this. If you're a Christian, you're sitting in this room, you know that grace is transformative. You know that grace has had a huge impact in your life. That it actually can take someone who would do evil and yet turn them to say, wow, I want to do everything I can for the glory of God. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... 
While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were all enemies of God before we came to Christ. Every single one of us. We were, Ephesians chapter 2 says, by nature we're children of wrath. We were enemies of God. And how did God treat his enemies? How did he treat us? He sent his son to die for us. To die for us. So that we could be forgiven. God showed amazing mercy and grace and forgiveness to us. Though we didn't deserve it. Did we deserve to have the son of God die for us? Do we deserve to have this grace, mercy, forgiveness poured out upon us? Absolutely not. None of us deserve to have that. Yet this is how God treated us. This is how God loved us. When we were hungry, what did he give us? Jesus in John chapter 6 calls himself the, the bread of life. Instead of just giving us Physical, he gave us what we eternally need. And when we were thirsty, what did he give to us? Jesus in John chapter 4 says, living water, right? This is what God gave to us, though we didn't deserve it. He transformed us from being the status of an enemy to a beloved child. So this is how we've been treated. We've been given amazing grace and forgiveness and mercy and love. And therefore, how then do we treat our enemies? How do we treat them? Because if we get how much we've been forgiven, how much grace we've been given, then we're going to turn around and we're going to give that even to our enemies. Because we know we didn't deserve it, and yet we received it. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us. He wants to turn us into these agents of his grace, right? Where we have received it, and it doesn't just stop with us. But then we can turn and we can, we can show who our God is, show his ways by, by showing amazing, undeserved enemies. They, don't, they didn't deserve that, but either did we. And so that's why we show great love, mercy, and forgiveness. Well, if you are still an enemy because you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I want to go back to that Isaiah 55, 6. It says, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And remember that he is compassionate and for he will abundantly pardon. That's what our God wants for you. He wants us to turn from our wicked ways, from our ways of our self-centered ways of living, and turn to him. And he wants to have mercy upon us. If only we would come to him. And so if you have not done that, I invite you, after this song, to come up and pray. I'd love to pray with you and help you to seek out our Lord. Well, we're going to sing one last song. And it's called, Jesus Paid It All. And I love the, the line, it says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. 
My sin had left this crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And as we're singing that song, what are we thinking about here, right? What does it mean he paid it all? What did he pay? Well, he paid all our sins. Everything that made us an enemy to God. Everything that we've done wrong, that we've rebelled against him. He paid that all in grace, mercy, forgiveness. We are all people, recipients of God's amazing kindness and goodness, though we don't deserve it. And this, the bridge is, a, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. That becomes our song throughout the rest of our life. Is like, this God has treated me way better than I deserve. I didn't deserve his amazing love, grace, forgiveness. I didn't deserve to have Jesus die on the cross to forgive me of everything I've ever done. But that's what God did because his ways are not our ways. He is so compassionate and he will abundantly pardon. So praise the one who paid our debt and raised our lives up from the dead. Let's sing this song together.